Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a really, really special guest on, Frank Zakari. I, I was on this guy's radio show recently, um, interviewed with um, along with Dr. Temple Hayes, and it was a blast. This guy's a lot of fun. So hang on, stay with us. We'll be right back. And we're back. Let me bring Frank on. Frank, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure. Love your introduction. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. So, so you know, I, I created this about two and a half years ago. I've interviewed somewhere in the vicinity of about 300 celebrities and entrepreneurs. And um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to pull this up on my phone so I have it over here, too. But um, so... You know, this show, I created this to help people have a breakthrough, to get unstuck in life. So let's let's start with where you were born and raised, Frank. Well, I was born in uh, Dunkirk, New York, which most people have never heard of. And Dunkirk, New York is about 35 miles outside of Buffalo. It's okay. right on Lake Erie. It's got one of the most spectacular ports, which the city has never done anything with, unfortunately. But wow. uh, Dunkirk was uh, your basic hard luck town. It was a steel town, heavy duty steel town. And it had five steel mills in, in the city, right? That's how dependent yeah. on steel it was. When steel mills closed, obviously the city tanked and has never really uh, been able to really recover from that. Yeah. So it's uh, a shell of what it once was. Growing up, it was uh, it was a fun place to be at that time. You're close to the lake. I played baseball, which was going to be my way out. I didn't want to work in steel. That was just not going to happen. So right. I said, I got to find a way out of here. My parents and family don't have a lot of money, so college could be questionable. But you're a pretty fair baseball player. Maybe that's the way out, right? So I played baseball in high school. And then at age 18, I had a tryout with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Pittsburgh Pirates basically told me, learn how to study and go to school. <laughs> oh, did they really? So wow. They said a little nicer than that, but I said, okay, so I'm 18 years old. My dream is over. I'm not going to be Derek Jeter. I'm not going to play for the Yankees. It's done. Wow. So uh, I enlisted in the Air Force. There was still the military lottery was still going on. For those of you who are old enough to remember the military lottery, my lottery number was 10. It's the is only lottery I've ever won. Is <laughs> that, is, is that, what's the what? I don't even know what that is. And the military I'm lottery was uh, when they still had the draft. In order to make it fairer, they said we're gonna. They, it was like ping pong, uh, uh, bingo balls, and the okay. bingo ball would pop up with your birth date, and then the next set would pop up, and that would be your number, and that would be the number you would be drafted in the order you would be drafted to go into the military. So if you're number 10, odds are pretty oh. good. You're going to get drafted. Got it. Wow. So, um, I did. I did get drafted. I waited for the letter from then President Nixon. And uh, so I enlisted in the Air Force as a medic. And the difference was 
Uh, if you enlist, you have to spend four years. And if you are drafted, you, you go for two years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and said, well, let's see, I don't want to shoot anybody and I don't particularly want anybody shooting at me. Right. So who's <laughs> the last person other than a general to possibly get shot at? And I determined in my research it would be an air force medic because if you do go to the war zone, you stay where the airplanes are, which are usually 100 and some odd miles from the front. Right. And that's where the hospital is. So the wounded would come and then you would deal with them at the hospital. But the, the, the rule, it wasn't always followed, but the rule was you cannot shoot, attack, bomb hospitals. Except uh, periodically you get mortar attacks and that type of thing. So that was a, the the military was great. I learned I learned so much in that four years, and you and you get and you get a, a management position very quickly. I was 19, 20 years old. I was running uh, emergency room. I was part of a cardiac team, and then I went into uh, was the head of the pediatric clinic. So I had 90 children a day uh, for a couple of years. So you wow. learned patience. You learned how to delegate. You learned a lot of things that you're going to learn need later in life. Yeah. When I got out. Now this was this during this, was this during the Vietnam War then? Yes, sir. Wow, what year was that? 1971, 1972. Oh, yeah. It was near the end. Yeah, wow. Heavy-duty heavy stuff was over. 1968, the Tet Offensive. Yeah, that was that was over and was winding down. And so I I always felt safe. I just so were you in Vietnam then? Over were you over there? No, no, I was lucky. I was. Oh. Uh, I would go back and forth to Thailand a few times and then, but I never was in, I'm not a combat uh, medic. Lucky, very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Like Kimberly says, I second that. Thank you for your service. Thank you. I, 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 I it always blows me away, man. Cause I, that's something I didn't do is, is serve my country. Probably the only real regret that I have is, is not doing that. So thank you. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, yeah. but it was a lot of fun. And at, at, with that young age, you see a whole cross section of everything. And, and it's interesting because you don't, you don't care what the other right. individual is. They're helping. I don't care who they are. I don't care what religion. You just don't care. Yeah. All right. I had yeah. some Marines that had been wounded say, you know, uh, there, there is no color in a foxhole. Okay. Right. The person right. next to you is the person next to you and you're going to do whatever you can to keep them alive and <laughs> them to keep you alive. Right. Right. So it was a great experience. I got out and went back to college. Um, and I decided I didn't want to be in, in the medical field anymore. As I thought, uh, I'd seen enough of death and destruction. So I went back to, uh, a two year school outside of, um, a base called Yuba college. And I did real well. And I went into business management. And I went to Sacramento State University, got my degree. And then what I wanted to do, Ken, I wanted to trade money. I got a degree in finance and I wanted to trade money. So I uh, was in Sacramento, which is the capital of South now, California. This is, this, is this where you, the base was in Sacramento? The base was just outside of Sacramento, yes. Okay, okay. In Northern California. And when I went to school at Sacramento State, I took a class in lobbying and pressure groups. And the professor comes in. And it's huge, just like 80, 80 students. And he says, I can't deal with 80 students. So he, he gives a, a reading assignment list the first day and walks out. And then he, a bunch of people didn't come back. And I said, look, I'm in the military. You're not going to scare me. Right. So he comes back the second day and he says, here's the test list and walks out. So third day he comes in for class. 
there's maybe 30 people left out of maybe 70. What? And he goes, okay, I can work with this number. This is the capital of California. You want to learn about lobbying, identify a lobbyist, go downtown, interview him, write a paper on him. So I said, all right, I'm up for that. So wait, so, let's talk about this professor. He literally ran off 50, 50 students. He said he couldn't later. He said, it's too big. The class is too big to get into the level of depth that needs to be gotten into. And so he was. But, he but is, isn't that what he's paid to do? Is like. You would think so. <laughs> what the heck, man? Like, what? That, that's rude, man. People are paying money to be there. Like, you, would, you, you would think so. What so we had, uh, I, was, I was majoring in finance. And so I contacted the lobbyist for the Bank of America. And I said, okay, I've got a dual, dual edge here. I'm going to do the paper. I'm going to do the study. But I want him to get me an interview with the Bank of America. Yeah. So I go down and I, I meet with him. A wonderful man. His name was Judge Harold Broders. Great, great guy. And he gave, gave me open access. I could come and go. I could go to hearings that he was in. The whole thing. Wonderful. Learned a lot about how government operates or, or lack of operation. Yeah. And then... Uh, I said, no, there's a, there's a hidden agenda here. Is I want you to get me an interview at the trading room at Bank of America in San Francisco, which he did. Wow. I, I go in, I interview in the, in the trading room of the trade money in San Francisco. Right. And they offered me a job. And back then, a long time ago, they said, well, we, we starting pay is $10,000. And you have to move to San Francisco. So um, while I was uh, on campus, NCR National Cash Register yep. came on uh, came into the uh, the interview and I met with them. I I didn't know who NCR was. I thought I, I thought it was National Semiconductor when I went in for the interview because <laughs> there was no Google. I mean, who the hell knew? Yeah. So right. uh, I go in and meet with them and they say they're they're putting a computer division together and they offer me a position at fourteen thousand dollars a year. So I'm a, I'm a finance major, so I can stay living in Sacramento in the apartment that I'm in and get 14000 a year, or I can move to San Francisco where I can't afford to live and get paid $10,000. So I said, all right, we're going to go to NCR. We're going to go into high tech. We'll do that two, three years, and then we'll move into uh, back into finance. And so I did that. And then uh, 28 years later, I was still in high tech, Wow, which was just a real experience, Ken. It was, it was something where it's very proactive. It's a proactive industry. It's always moving forward and it's always a lot of changes coming all the time. And you got to stay on top of so many things in technology. Isn't, working, isn't NCR, they're, they're based here out of Dayton, Ohio, aren't they? They were, they were. They were, they, yeah. Yeah, they were. NCR uh, had done great things for a long, long time. And then they were acquired by AT&T. And then NCR ran AT&T's computer division, okay. which AT&T had failed multiple times at. Yeah. And it was, uh, I was interviewed with, uh, with a group about mergers and acquisitions. <clears throat> and I was part of that merger and acquisition at NCR and AT&T. So they wow. said, Frank, you're, you're part of one of the most catastrophic failures in the history of, of uh, mergers and acquisitions. Now I didn't personally put it together, but I was there when it occurred. Wow. And I said, yeah, it was, uh, it didn't go well. The culture clash just did not work. And NCR or uh, AT&T lost a million dollars a day from eight o'clock in the morning until noon. 
Jeez. And then they went to lunch. And to prove it wasn't a fluke, they came back after lunch and lost another million dollars between oh noon and five. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> to prove it wasn't a fluke. Oh my God. They just they had to make sure that they. <laughs> so uh, wow. while, while I was there, this was a, this a funny story. I, I was at NCR, I was director of government operations. So I had government yeah. in I don't know how many states, 13, 14 states. Yeah. The merger occurs, AT&T comes in and says, okay, Frank, you're going to run the whole Western United States. You're going to be government operation director. And in, and in the tech world, everything is an acronym, right? And so I said to them, you may want to rethink the title. And he said, why? And I said, well, director of government, DOG, dog, uh, you want me to be government, government operation director, G-O-D, God. <laughs> right. The guy burst out laughing and he said, hell, I don't care. So on my, on my, on my door, it said, Frank Sakari, God. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> wow. So my staff in, you know, 20 some states, anytime something would come up and they needed me and they said, oh, we got to go ask God. <laughs> that is so funny. That, that wow. was fun. So, so that and that was in the all of that was in the the Sacramento that that general area. That was all over the place. It started in oh. Sacramento. I I had uh, uh, operation in northern and southern. I had operation in San Diego. We had one in San Francisco, one in Los Angeles, Seattle, all over. So we had offices in in twenty four states that wow. that I would go to. And the way we approached this was. We set up tiger teams because at NCR I had maybe I think I had 14 states and I had probably 18 people total. Yeah. AT&T comes in and says, well, we have 200 and some odd people <laughs> at AT&T. And I said, well, that's probably one of the problems. You have way too many people. So we said, we'll put tiger teams together. So we'll put people in these states who live there. And then you, you, you sort of the, the hunters. You go right. looking for opportunities in these areas of government where they where they generate revenue, Department right. of Taxation, DMV, et cetera. All right. Once you identify an opportunity, then I will bring in a tiger team of people who yeah. are specialists in that particular sector from from throughout the 24 states that I had. And then we would go in, put the package together, win the deal, hopefully. And then, uh, and then uh, run that operation for X period of time. It was so much fun because it, it, it put all your, the skills that you've learned as far as uh, negotiation and, and uh, collaborating and bringing people in, working with, with the, uh, the, the government side, plus the, you had to bring in uh, uh, contractors and making everybody be nice, play nice, everybody play nice. Wow. So, that worked out well. Uh, I left AT&T and went to a company that did a lot of software for us. And it was it, it, that was one of those ones where it's a smaller company and they lie to you because they're not publicly traded. So you can't see all their financials. So you get there and I go start going through things. And I went, oh, my God, I go sit down with the owners. And I said, if this is correct, you guys are going to run out of cash in about 274 days. <laughs> Jeez. And they said, well, Frank, that's why you're here. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I said, well, it would have been nice if you had told me that. And they said, well, you wouldn't have taken the job. So we uh, we, started, we sat down and said, all right, what are we going to do here? Now, 
sit with the owners and all that collaboration that you learned in the military plus in those big projects. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to you want to get pretty and be sold? Do you want to um, merge with somebody else? Do you want to acquire? What is it you want to do? And the owners were at that time in the late 50s, early 60s. And they said, we just want to get out with something. So we put that strategy together. We went from four million to eight million to fifteen million in in, uh, in revenue. Sold that company, and then uh, went on to whatever the next one was. Now, when you take your second one of these turnarounds, you go with your eyes open because you've already been lied to once. Yeah. So then I would go into these organizations, and we would we we we'd put a, a contract together. So it'd be like, uh, I will work for you for X period of time. You're going to pay me X. If we don't like each other, if we get divorced, here's the out clause for me. Here's the out clause for you. Right. Uh, let's put it together. And then we put a timetable on it, three years, right. four years, whatever. And that was a blast because now you're walking into organizations that are just floundering. They're, they're, they're maybe going under. And the first meetings are, are usually really interesting. I get everybody together and I just tell them, okay, here's who I am. This is what I've done. I want to meet with everybody individually. Let's find out. You're all here for a reason. Obviously, it means something to you. Let's figure out how we can make this better. And the best one I had, Ken, was a, I was up in Seattle at the time. It was a guy named Paul Allen. Not that Paul Allen. This, his name just happened to be Paul Allen. And he sat there while I'm talking with his arms and his legs crossed. And he was leaning back like this. And he said, you know, I've been through seven of you. Why is this going to be any different? And I said, wow, that's a good question. So I said, well, um, I've had a lot of success doing this, number one. And number two, uh, if this continues, I can definitely guarantee you won't be here for the eighth person. So let's sit down and figure out how to make this work. And so we got that together. Uh, I did that for about 14, 15 years, doing turnarounds of, of failing companies, multiple wow. companies. And none of them ever failed, thank God. Yeah. They, uh, wow. they always ended up better than where they were. And then we either sold them or we merged with somebody or we acquired a yeah. couple of companies. We bought them. And and then I would you say- You said you did, that, you did that for about 14 years? 14, 15, yeah. And where, where, what about what? And so you ended up leaving that. It sounds like, yeah. That, about uh, what year was that? When I when I left the uh, the tech sector was about oh about two thousand three. No, okay. even before maybe two maybe two thousand. Yeah. My uh, I was living in Seattle. I was the CEO of two companies up there. I traveled a lot in high tech. Mm-hmm. I was gone probably two weeks out of every month. Yeah, uh, somewhere around the world. It was it was, it was exciting. Um, my wife decided it wasn't so exciting and she left. Um, I guess she got tired of someone not being present. So she left and I had custody of my two daughters who were young at the time. And so we, we the three of us, two little girls and I sitting there thinking, oh, what am I going to do here? I can't wow. stay in high tech because I'm traveling too much. Yeah, can't do that. Um, and you're the, the, you're in Seattle at the time, right? I'm in Seattle at the time, <clears throat> which is and the most expensive place in America to live. <laughs> you wonder, yeah, it's up there. It's way it's, up. There. Uh, it's up there, yeah. So we uh, sat down uh, and said, "Well, what are we going to do here? I can't travel. I got to be a full time father." 
a friend of mine back in Sacramento owned an insurance agency. He was uh, going to have to retire because of a, a physical disability. Yeah. And he said, why don't you come down here and help me? And then you can take this over. So as much as uh, and when you go from high tech, very proactive, dynamic yeah. industry, and you're a type A personality, yeah. and then you move into insurance, which is a reactive industry, yeah. it's like dying and going to hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go back. Like, Joe asks a good question. What did you find was the, I think he meant most common cause of the company's failure prior to you getting there? What was the most common cause? The most common cause was they were overextending themselves. Mm. They were juggling too many balls. They wanted to be A, but then, oh, this looks nice over here. We, the, you know, the shiny object model for a lot of small yeah. businesses. And I like, this is good. Oh, but this over here might be better. So they start chasing down a lot of rabbit holes. Yeah. And they, then they bring on way too many people. Just way, Instead of addressing an issue, they just throw people at the issue. Right. And then the biggest thing, and what the fastest way to turn around an organization is to sit down and go through all the processes. And the, the first question I always ask is, why? Why are we doing this? Not not antagonistically, but why do we do this? Right. Then they'll say, well, we do this because blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, how can we do it better? Right, right. And then they would say, well, we don't really need this and this and this. And I said, well, then let's eliminate this and this and this. And let's put it documented and put it together and then go forward. The third thing, Ken, that's a big problem is a lot of these uh, small companies come, uh, they, they probably came from a, a big organization or the military or something that had uh, a lot of structure and, and they hated that. They, I, want, I want a flat organization. Okay, so in many cases, they didn't write any of these processes or procedures down because, you know, in this area over here, well, John knows the answer. Well, you need to go talk to John. Okay, so I would say, well, what happens if John's not here? And he said, well, he'll be back tomorrow. And I said, well, what happened if John got hit by a truck? Right. And they said, oh, well, you know, someone else will figure it out. So we, a lot of it is just getting organized, getting your thought processes back in place, writing things down so that there's a, a guide on what to do and how to do what to do. So that if the key person isn't there, the organization continues to be successful, can still, can still function. I mean, not as well, but can still function. People know what to do. One of the stories I used to tell people was when I was up in Seattle, I was involved with the University of Washington volleyball program. And I was the head of their fundraising and, and uh, booster group. And at one point in time, University of Washington and Arizona State were two of the best schools in the nation. One year, both of them lost their best player. Washington's All-American broke her hand. She missed 12 games. The uh, Arizona State girl, woman, girl, woman, uh, had a ACL tear, so she missed about 15. When that occurred, the Arizona State woman, she was it. Everybody went to her. They knew what to do to get the ball to her. Yeah. Okay, she'll, she'll get the point. When she wasn't there, they were lost. They just floundered. They looked. They didn't look like they knew what they were doing. Okay, well, right. she's not here. What do I do? Washington, on the other hand, lost the National Player of the Year three-time All-American, and they won 11 of the 12 matches because they knew what to do. It was all documented. Everybody knew their role. They knew what to do when they were in the game, regardless of whether she was there or not. Right. And that alone will turn around more companies than you can possibly imagine, unless, unless there's internal theft or something along right. those lines. 
it's usually a process problem. So, so with, with the, so you did, you, let me, so it was 14, 15 years. Was that when you had, you made the change and you ended up moving to where for the oh, insurance thing? When I left Seattle, I went back to, uh, left the high tech after. Yeah. Right. Wife, uh, right. We moved back to Sacramento. It was like Sacramento. Sacramento was this vortex. that kept sucking me back and yeah. always coming back to Sacramento. Yeah. So, uh, I took over this agency. It was, um, the, the, the guy sold a lot of policies and, yeah. he, and he did pretty good money, but the, the agency wasn't profitable. It made maybe $5,000 a year in profit. And I come from a profit driven, not yeah. revenue driven model. Right. Right. So when I met with, with the, uh, the leaders and I said, well, how do I, I, the only thing I knew about insurance at the time is I didn't like paying for it. Right. right? So they said, well, this is, this is the best practice. Put your office here, 15 to 20 mile radius around your office. You call those people up. They come to your office. You sell them insurance. I said, okay, well, how hard can that be? Right. Well, it's pretty damn hard. Yeah. Because the people in that 15 to 20 mile radius and the company and, and the people I inherited wanted the lowest possible amount of insurance. Yeah. And they constantly paid late and spending all my time reinstating policies that had gone out of force. And it was at a point where I just, I completely hated everything that was going on. I just hated right. it with a passion. Right. So when I'm having my little pity party, one of my friends said from the tech sector said, shut up, look at, you know how to run organizations. So do it, just do it. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to change the process here. We, I don't want everybody with a pulse and I don't want everybody in that 15 to 20 mile radius. I want people who have a minimum family income of $150,000 who have one house, two cars, and children. Right. And my staff all looked at me and go, well, what are you doing? I said, well, what we're supposed to do is protect people's hopes and dreams, which sounds like, you know, world peace and motherhood and all that. Yeah. But they have hopes and dreams that they want to protect. So we're going to try and protect them for them. How we're going to do that is we're going to give them the best possible coverage or the highest possible coverage and the best possible service at the fairest price. Not the lowest price because everybody insurance, every commercial you see is that we can save you 15%. We can that no. They we're gonna give you a fair price. Okay. And then we're gonna go to their offices and we're gonna go to their homes and and not wait for them to come to us. So we're gonna work around their schedules. And when I would go meet with people, Ken, we would talk about business. We talk about their life, we talk about their kids, what are they trying to do, what are their goals, and then we would work the insurance component in. But it wasn't here, here's how insurance worked. It was Let's build a relationship with the individual first. Yep. I learned that in the military. I learned that all through the tech sector. Build a relationship first. Build that sense of trust and show them how you can bring value to them. Yep. So in a very short period of time, two years, we made $750,000 in profit. And I owned it for 13 years. And we averaged over that 13 years $400,000 a year in profit, even with all the fires. Yeah. That we're having in California, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, at the end of that point in time, it was the insurance thing. Ken was a means to an end. I'm going to do it because I got two little girls that I have to raise. Right. So when the youngest one graduated from college at Arizona State, she graduated in December. I don't know how many years ago that was, and then I sold the the agency in March. And I remember the the uh, the state of office. What year was that? 
That was probably five years ago, six, maybe six, five years ago. And I, the state office people came to see me and they said, what are you doing? You're running one of the most profitable agencies in, in, in all of California. People in your position don't sell the business. And I said, well, I don't like the business. And <laughs> right. I want to sell while I'm at way up here. And, you know, what's what's interesting about what you said is, uh, you know, Jeffrey Gittimer is a good friend of mine and and he talks a lot about that. Deliver, build the relationship, deliver value and the yeah. sale comes naturally. And 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 I think that 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 is such a huge missing component in a lot of sales strategies today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We uh, now. I have, uh, I have a partnership with Jay Abraham, Jay Abraham, the marketing guy. Yep, I know Jay. Marketing guy, the marketing genius. Yeah, yeah. He's and we put together a program called the Tag Team. And the Tag Team is just four of us in this group. As we start now working with uh, aspiring entrepreneurs or people who have plateaued and are yeah. looking to where do I go next, right? right? The thing Jay Abraham says every single time I talk to him is he said, Value is what you provide to the other person. It's not what you get in return. Right. So always keep that at the forefront. Yeah. And then it's always about relationships because once you put that relationship and you show the value, you become the go-to. They're not going to yep. go anywhere else. Look at Harley Davidson. People pay more for Harley Davidson and wait in line. And, but, and they wear all the paraphernalia. Because they are same, same with this product right exactly. here. Exactly. That same was the next thing. thing. Yeah. There is an I everything. And people will stand in line. I remember when, whenever, whatever, I don't know what version phone came out, but I was uh, in, in Phoenix. I have a house in, in Phoenix. Yeah. And my daughter both live in Phoenix. And so is my grandson. So we were down um, at one of the malls and they had an Apple store. And there was a line. And this is Phoenix. It's hot. There's a line going almost around the block to get whatever the eye, whatever it was at that yeah. time. Yeah. And I remember watching that and saying, they've, they've done it. They have got you to the point where the relationship is so strong that they're not even going to consider dealing with anybody else. And right. that's a lot of, from, from what I know about you, that's what you do in your business. It is. People go to you because they know, number one, they're going to get an honest evaluation. Yeah, they trust you, yeah. and you have a relationship with them, and that's that's the most important thing I found in my sixty-seven plus years is if you can't build a relationship, and regardless of what it is you're doing, you're not going to be successful. Well, and I think that there's there are obviously there are temporary. Um, successes where where people do it without that relationship but if you don't have that relationship i mean then it just becomes a price war it's a race to the bottom and and i think that that people miss that like i don't i don't discount my 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 services i just don't like i but i don't have to either like i exactly. i don't have to discount because my clients know I'm going to give them unbelievable value. So, and that's, so that, that brings up a really, really good point. So you, 
you formed this. How did you meet Jay Abraham? I mean, I Grant Cardone, who I told you was on with me last night, he's I think he had Jay speak at one of the 10x growth conferences. Mm -hmm. How did how did that come about? Where you start working with Jay? That came about through uh, my partner, uh, uh, Gabby Ori is his name, Gabriel Ori. Okay. And, and Gabby has done uh, high-end financing and, and scaling of organizations for years and years. And I met, I met Gabby kind of on a whim. I was in Sacramento. We went to, we both went to this show, uh, play Sherlock Holmes thing, right? Yeah. We both ended up going to the same restaurant afterwards. And so we're sitting next to each other and we're making small talk, right? So we go to dinner, we come out. He and his wife are still sitting at the bar. They had dinner at the bar. They went there a lot. Yeah. And so we said, well, let's go meet them. So I said, my, my name's Frank Zakari. And the wife said, Zakari, do, do you have uh, family in, in Arizona? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I do. And he says, do you know Annette Zakari? And I said, Annette Zakari is my sister. And she goes, oh, my God, Annette and I were on these boards for all this thing. And so we start talking. And somehow in the conversation, uh, it comes up while well, I'm talking to her. Gabby's talking to my wife. And he, she said, what well, your husband said he was a mentor and a judge with the University of California Entrepreneurship Academy. And she said, uh, yeah, he, he is. And he says, I want to meet the winner of the last Big Bang competition because I think we can help her. And my wife laughed and she said, Frank was her mentor. So we started talking about this and said, you know, we can work with these, these aspiring, brilliant minds. My God, they're so intelligent. And, and, they, and they, they do science and technology beyond belief, but they can't get the product into the marketplace because they don't know how to do that step. So let's put that together. And then G Gabby said, let's connect with Jay Abraham. And I, and I laughed. <laughs> I said, you're right, I'm gonna call Jay Abraham. And he goes, yeah, well, I'm going I'm to call Jay Abraham. I know him. I have worked with him. Wow. So he, he calls Jay Abraham, and we set up a conference call, and we sit down and chat, and I write up the plan. This is how we think we can do this, and here's the process, and it will be a very elite and exclusive, and people have to apply for it, yeah. and then we'll put the muscle of this of Jay Abraham's muscle plus the rest of the, the, the strategic partnerships we can bring to, to bear and help these people really get launched and get out there, okay? And one of the things when I was with the, uh, the University of California, the Entrepreneurship Academy, I love them because they're, they're so smart. They're so smart. Yeah. And, but they, they had at the end of 1999, the end of 2019, Jesus friend, the end of 2019, they had 19,224 patents and licenses. Wow. Right? And I, that's what I said. And the professor in charge of the program says, yeah, well, don't get excited about that, Frank. He said, 60% of the revenue comes from five. And I said, 5%? And he goes, no, five of the 19,224 patents generate 60% of our revenue. And so that's what, with who? It's the University of California system. Oh, wow. UCLA, UC Berkeley, UC Davis, yeah. you know, the, the UC system. Yeah. So, and there's 10 of them. So he, uh, I said, so you're a major research university. What's the problem? And he says, well, we have five reasons. And the first reason was basically uh, no market. And I said uh, nicely, said to him, well, that, that's, that's code for you didn't pass the who cares test. Right. Great science, great technology. Who cares? 
It doesn't bring any value to anything or anyone. Right. We went down the rest of the list. And then we said, um, I'd be happy to help. So I was a mentor. I became a judge with them. And one of the things that if you have aspiring entrepreneurs listening is I tell them all the time, what do you need to launch this business? And what I'll hear is, oh, well, we need about 50,000 or 100,000 to go from A to B. Right. And I said, then what are you going to do three months from now when you're out of money? Right. Now you go back to pitch deck hell. You start pitching it to everybody. You can rub two nickels together, waste more time, give up more of your business. And I said, if you need, for example, with the one that we're working with, he said, you need 10, you need $10 million to get from A to launch, get the product into the market. So ask for $10 million. And they said, well, isn't that going to scare investors away? And I said, no, absolutely not. And then invest, you're not going to scare an investor away with a big with a big number. Number one, it'll probably give you more credibility because you're thinking long term. You're thinking more realistically. But the thing you, most people miss is they don't say use of funds. What am I going to use this money for? And when am I going to need it? And milestone is going to be because no investor is going to give you 10 million or 100 million or whatever it is you're asking for up front. It's just not going to happen. Right. They're going to give it to you in pieces as you hit milestones. Okay. Yeah. Then they will bring in strategic partners to work with you to make sure you stay on target. That's what the tag team does with Jay Abraham and Gabby, myself, and, and the others. So we bring in these people to work with you to make sure you're staying on task and that we're getting to the right point. It also gives you relational capital because now you don't have to go back to pitch deck hell because the investor knows what you're doing. They know where you are in the process and they can be releasing more funds for you. So your life becomes infinitely better. And it's funny, Ken, because I hear these, these people saying to me, well, you know, I, I have to give up too much of my company. No, I say it nicer than this, but I'd say that. Um, well, right now you have 100% of nothing. Right Now, isn't 50% or 40% of $50 million worth a hell of a lot more than 100% of nothing? Exactly. And I and, think a lot of people don't, they, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my entire adult life. Um, and, and, you know, especially in my younger days, I thought, I, I, I don't, I, I have all the answers. You can't, you know, <laughs> all I need is the money and I'll figure it out. And that's just not necessarily true. And, 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 and I think that that also is a cause a major cause of failure for, for younger entrepreneurs, even older ones. Yeah, it is. It, it, I'm, uh, I'm putting together a book now and the book is called the secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. That's how I end yeah. my radio show every week. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And one of the things that uh, when I, when I talk in, to, to people is I just say, you know, what you know is not nearly as important as what you don't know. Right. What you don't know will sink you quicker than anything else. Yep. And then who you know is also more important than what you know. Yeah. Do these people have, are you involved with people who have the expertise and have been there and have a, a, a network that they can call in when you need it? So many of the young entrepreneurs, you know, I'm smart. I'll figure it out. I'm not going to pay for this. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> right. going to pay for this, right? Okay. Fine. You will. You're, you're going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. You will pay for it eventually. 
I love Joe's statement there. Absolutely, yeah. Joe. It's it's uh, I get, I get it's funny. I gave a talk on this, and I said, "Here's here's what I hear a lot. I'm going to get a fret brother. Okay, nice guy, but I'm going to get a professor from college. And I thought, okay, again, smart man, never been there, never done that. Right. Uh, or or my best one, my favorite one is, I know a guy. Yeah. And I I say I'm an Italian. I grew up in New York. I know a guy is not a good thing. <laughs> right. Right. So let's right. put together. And so we, we put that in. One of the things we do. So a, let, let, me, let me ask you this, though, real quick, sure. if I may. So you have a, a, a do you have a partnership, a business, a company with Jay Abraham then? Yes, we have a partnership. Holy with crap. Jay Abraham with, uh, and there's four people in this partnership. Wow. Four principles. Yeah. And then as we identify these opportunities, then, you know, we, we, we screen them. So before, yeah. before anybody gets Jay Abraham, it's good. It goes through an intensive screening, intensive screening. Really? Yeah. Right. And we have on, uh, we send out uh, an executive summary. So it's like an invitation to be part of it. Yeah. It's very elite and very exclusive. So not everybody's going to get in. So we send it out, send us, your executive summary as you have it. Now, being a judge and a mentor with the University of California system for three and a half years, we would go through that and we evaluate it like we did with people that were in these big bang competitions. And then we'll get back to them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you need help in this area, or this is a saturated market, or this is a hell of a good idea. Have you looked right. at ABC? And then if we, if they get entered, if we accept them into the tag team program, then all the resources in the world can come together and we lay out the strategic model with them. The, the whole idea, Ken, is 50%, 50, 60% of businesses fail within three years. Right. Okay. Yeah. And 80% fail within five. And some of the talks I give, you know, I'd say that, look, it, it, we've been following that model for a long time, long time. Yeah. And the failure ratios aren't getting any better. So maybe we should do something different. Maybe we should look at it with a little bit different set of lenses because that way not working. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So let's adjust. Why do you want to keep banging your head against the wall? There's a door over there. Go through the door. Right. That's incredible. So, so you, you go through a pretty, sounds like a pretty stringent um, vetting process before, Very. before. And, and so when you get what are what are some of the criteria that you're looking for? Well, the best one is the first two that we're looking at right now is number one, you got to be innovative. All right, it can't you can't be. Um, I'm another bakery and I and and and, and I sell it for a nickel less. Okay, yeah, not interesting. So it's got to be innovative. Number one, it's got to be disruptive. It's got to be something that's going to alter a process or alter an industry or alter a way of doing business. Right now, we're like uh, we like green technologies and medical because that's where the bulk of the jobs are going to be coming from. Right, right. In right. the future, green and medical related. Right. And then we have them uh, if they if they came through the UC programs, then we know a little bit about them already, and we'll just say, okay, here is here's my website. Go to my website, franksakari.com. As soon as you get on it, the thing pops up. There's the application for an executive summary. Fill it out. Send it to us. Okay, we'll get back that, to you. That's to be involved in. That's to be in, mentored by you, 
and Jay Abraham and whoever Gabby the other Murray and the other people, yeah. right? And wow. the, the the idea there is um, we're, we're looking for people that number one, number one, are willing to be coached, yeah, and willing to listen. And yeah. sometimes right out of school types don't work because they're <laughs> they're smarter than everybody anyway. Oh, they know everything. So the I've got some funny interview stories about that actually. <laughs> they're they're great. Yeah. And the uh, so the, we 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 get more traction from people who have tried for a couple of years and are getting the snot beat out of them. Yeah. And they're not getting the money and they're behind on their schedule and they're and, and they're just wringing their hands. And a lot of times it comes down to Ken will sit down and say one one very brilliant scientist and we said do you really want to be the CEO of this company? Do you, do you really understand what it takes to be a CEO, to juggle all these projects and, and all the things that require your time, energy, and effort? Wouldn't you rather be the chief scientist and do what you love? And he said, well, yeah, but then who's going to do this other stuff? And I said, that's why you, you contract with us. We will do the other stuff. Yeah. We'll let you do what you do best. Wow. And we'll fill in the holes. The other thing that occurs a lot, Ken, is they go out and hire people. Okay, so they, I got it takes a long time to hire people. You know that. Yeah. It doesn't always work when you what? hire somebody. So they got to throw that nonsense. Right? Do you agree with Joe? What Joe just says there. Entitled. <laughs> That's a great line, Joe. <laughs> right. Yeah. True, man. It's yeah. It's it's funny because. When, when we meet with them in these mentoring sessions and you meet with them and Joe and they'll say, they start talking about the science or the medicine or whatever. Yeah. And so I listen for a couple of seconds and I'll just say, you know, that's all wonderful, but I can't even ask you a question about the science because I don't even understand what you're saying about the science. But what I'm going to ask you is why does anybody care? And, and, and to put Joe's point, they're stunned. And it's like, do you have any idea how difficult this is? And they said, no, I don't, because I don't understand it. But what yeah. I do understand is the world may not want this. You, right. you have a solution looking for a problem. Let's find a problem and bring the solution to it. Right, right. Yeah, this Laura is a client of mine, dear friend of mine. She's a uh, she's in the she's she's a nurse practitioner um, and she has a huge medical practice and she does a lot of geriatric like it's, it's all geriatric patients right. that's, that's what she specializes in. And she loves your question. Do you want to be the CEO or provide care? And she had never thought about it before. And that's a big deal because one of the things that the ones who have come into the program now are saying, Oh my God, you know, and I, now I do what I love doing and you can become, and I did this in the beginning too. I was the highest paid clerk in my company. <laughs> right. right. And right. I dealt with so many other organizations and they'll say, well, it's just faster if I do it. And I said, okay, well, then why did you hire these people for? So you're making, you're, they're going home at five o'clock. They're dumping their problem on your desk. You're yeah. allowing it to happen. And then you're there till nine or 10 o'clock doing right. their job that you're paying <laughs> them to do. Right. I'll either be a leader or go be a clerk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, like Joe says, I, I but I spent all this time making this. Now I need to be <laughs> recognized. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna 
uh, one, one of the Jay Abraham stories that I heard was Fred Smith who started uh, Federal Express, right? Yeah. It was the same thing. But this is mine. I did this. I, I'm, I don't want to lose control. I want this to be what it is. Jay Abraham gave them a few suggestions and ideas. He charges a lot of money, obviously, but he yeah. gave them some suggestions and ideas. And they go from wherever they are to $500 million. Okay. It's like, all right, let's think about this, guys. If who cares who gets the credit as long as everyone engaged is doing well, you're going to still have your name on the top. You're still going to be the CEO. If that's what you want to be, Right. you can be that, or you can be the chief scientist, or you can be on the board. Do what you love. Let us surround you with the people who've been there and done that. And as I was saying before, you don't have to bring these people in as employees. We bring them in as a strategic partner to do X. Yeah. When X is done, they go away. Okay. But if we need them, they can come back and they already know where you are. So you avoid this treadmill where you get higher and interviewing. And, and that's, a, yeah. that's a pain. People don't, don't think, I, I, and, and that's, that's huge, man. Getting the right people in place on your team is so important. It's like Joe just said, I don't care about the title. I just show me the money. <laughs> right. Like I like I, you, Joe. Yeah, I mean, that's what's the point of owning what's the point of owning a business? I mean, you know, I, I that that I think people miss that, man. They do. And a lot of it is uh getting over the ego. And that's a that's a big thing, is getting over the ego and it's mine and I created it. And, so, and, and one group was said, it's not a child. It's not your child. This is a business. This is something that you can move in, in, into something that could really matter. But at the pace you're going and if you've got your arms so tight locked around it, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. And they, there's some, there's a lot of people get really angry at me at, at these things. I just like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I said, well, okay, I'll be here. In yeah. three to five years, you know, a couple of pieces and give me a call down the road. Yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, like Jay Abraham is probably one of the, he's one of the top most well-known for sure marketing geniuses on the planet. Oh, yeah, by and, far. And, and to, to be able to say that, you have a partnership with him and, and you vet people before they even get to him. <laughs> That's incredible, man. That's absolutely incredible. So, and it's, it's Frank Zakari.com, right? Is yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to, I'm going to throw that up on the, uh, the screen here. Um, just so people can, can find you. So what do you, I can't believe we're already at 50, 51 minutes. This is an hour wow. long show. Unbelievable, man. So what do you think, um, in your opinion, what is the number one thing? I got that right. Didn't I? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, what's the number one thing that that stops people and and listen let me preface this by saying fear is always a popular answer to this question um but what what is the number one thing in your opinion that stops people from experiencing true success 
and happiness in, in life and owning a business or running a business, any of it? I think after fear is failure to delegate. It's failure to identify the tasks and the roles that you need. Mm. Okay? Because we, when you start a business, you're usually good at one thing. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm good at this. One. I'm going to come. I'm going to go. I'm off. All right? yeah. well, one thing's not enough. And you're going to have to surround yourself with people. So you're going to have to give up control, get rid of your ego, and you're going to have to learn how to delegate. And then manage keep people on task. I've seen so many, three of the companies that I took over as CEO that were failing, they had other CEOs. The owner came in and he said, uh, you do it and I'm, I'm going to go. Okay, that's great. Tahiti's nice. But you have to stay on top of it. You have to look at what are the reports. Let's have some brainstorming sessions. I always made it a point that the owner, the principal owners of the companies I took over, we're going to meet once a week. Yeah. Either we didn't have Zoom back then, but right, either right. on the phone or we're going to meet face to face and we're going to go through a set of tasks that were laid out and where we are and then start looking at other strategies like, hey, there's a company over here that we can acquire. Let's put that on the table. Let's put that in the hopper to think about. Hey, there's a company over here that wants to acquire us. Let's look at how we can put those things together. One thing Jay Abraham talks about a great deal is other people's money. Okay is setting up alliances with other organizations where you don't have to put out a lot of money. You can merge with them. You can acquire their assets. You can take over their marketing. You can do something where both sides benefit. And right now during great adversity is the opposite where great opportunity is gonna to come to the forefront. And we have got more adversity right now than we've had in, in years. So the opportunities are there to ethically Yeah change things i i i well i think we have more uh, adversity than in the history of mankind perhaps i don't know it's it's pretty intense but so if first off where where are you most active on social media for people to follow you we're on uh linkedin a lot i've got uh Frank Sakari on, on Facebook. We have Life Altering Events, which is the name of my company, on Facebook. We have the radio show, which is called Life Altering Events, yeah. which is part of uh, voiceamerica.com. And they can get me through that. Yeah. Uh, they send me emails. Uh, the, the one that I actually look at is Frank Sakari at Gmail. I got three other ones that have all the political send me money thing. Go, go over to that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But I'm fairly easy to find. I've got five books out. The sixth one is in the process. It's being edited right now. Uh, we'll see how long that process takes. I and, found and, I and are you and I you and I are are co-authors in a book, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are. It's, What's uh, that book? Crappy, that book is called Crappy to Happy. You gotta love that name, right? I know, right? And that's uh, Ariel Patricia and Kat Cavanaugh. Yep. Uh, put that piece together and it's basically going through life um, things that have happened to us and how we came out the other side significantly better so you were in this crappy situation and you did ABCD and you came out and now you're happy yeah and when I left when I sold the insurance agency Ken it was now I'm I'm in my <laughs> I was in my 60s right 
And then I go, okay, what am I going to do when I grow up? <laughs> so it was, well, we're going to do something that's going to matter. We're going to be involved in helping people avoid the landmines that I stepped on, both personally, personal yeah. life, and professionally, because we all make mistakes. And yeah. hopefully you don't make them multiple times. Yeah. But if I can, and that's what this next book is going to be, is if I can say, look, here's here's 12 pitfalls yeah. that you're going to run into. So here's ways to help avoid these pitfalls. All right. And if you don't, if you're going to just be so focused, like I was, so type A, type A, type A, I'm, I'm knocking down walls, and you get to the top of the mountain, and you look around, and there's nobody there. Right. So what did I, what did, what was all this about? Why did I do this? Why did right. I try? No. So I said, that's enough. That's enough. Hey, um, Fareed has a question here. Does, does your company mentor and find funding for entrepreneurs as well? We, we do mentor, for sure. And if the opportunity is right, we can bring in funding. A lot of it, Fareed, goes to that, uh, that screening, vetting process, is that we're going to vet this. It's an interview like you've never been through before. And we're going to vet it down <laughs> in great depth so that we all understand where we're trying to go. And yeah. then the big thing as far as finding money is so many people – Number one, they don't know how much they need. Number one, and when they ask for money, then they, you got to lay out the use of funds. I'm going to use this for this, and it's going to take this long. And most people don't do that, like you right. said earlier. I know what to do. Just give me the money. Okay. Yeah. Don't work you, you you don't want to show up to a meeting with Jay Abraham with that that attitude. I've met Jay, and I can promise you, you do not want to show up with that attitude. Right. <laughs> You're going to spend a lot of money for a very short meeting. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> very short. So Joe Ingram says that you're a great guy. He sent you a LinkedIn friend request. I do like I do like um, this. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, Anna says, would love to see some bite-sized nibbles over on Instagram. That's an area of opportunity for you. I think that's what she means. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Instagram, Instagram stories, man. You should be putting little bits out on Instagram stories if you're not. I'll have to do that. I've, <laughs> I haven't done much on Instagram. Uh, I've got I've got a, a YouTube site. Um, yeah. And uh, the way I think we've got ten little YouTube chats out there. Yeah, yeah. And then there's 60 some uh, radio show interviews that if he wants to have that, I can show you where the links are. And you can bring yeah. those up. The interview with Ken, for those of you listening out there, it hasn't aired yet, but we interviewed uh, Ken and Dr. Temple Hayes together. And that that's one you, you have to hear. You have to hear it because they're, they're so dynamic and it's so much fun. There's so much laughter during that, uh, that interview. And you, you, you look, you're a, I just got to say this. You are a fantastic interviewer. I, I, uh, I've, after doing a few hundred of these, I, I, I think I can call myself an expert. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. And, and, and to see, to see what you 
what you're doing, man, it's it's absolutely incredible, and you're really really good at it. So my my hat's you. off to you. Literally, you. I don't have it on. It, I, <laughs> you don't have, if I had, I'd take it off. <laughs> it's really good. And you know, Anna brings up a good point too. I, IGTV is good for for clips that are longer than than one minute, um, and the, it's really a great. It really is a great platform, and and. Listen, I, I, I gotta be honest, man. I, I interviewed or I not interviewed. I ignored Instagram for a long time <laughs> and, and, um, geez, that was a bad idea. So, um, yeah. look, Farid is taking copious notes. That's so awesome to hear. I, I love that. You have provided a ton of value and, um, yeah. And Joe's right. The human attention span is, you know, I, and I, I got I, before we end this, I got to bring this up because I think that with your experience, if there are anybody, if there's anyone in their youth, youthful years watching right now, um, you know, I, I remember a few years ago and I'm CEO of the company. I'm it's a we're a marketing firm and do web development mm -hmm. and everything. And 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 so this um, this kid comes in. He's in between his junior and senior year in college, and I didn't go to college. I, I went to work, so I, mm -hmm. I don't know what that's about. But but so he's he sits down. My wife went to college, and 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 you know this kid wanted to be an intern at our office, and and I, I asked my wife before this. I said I, I'm interviewing an intern. I don't know what what like I, what do I offer him as pay? And she's like nothing. Like we don't pay interns. Like they're coming here to learn. And she's like, when I was in college, we begged for internships, right? Yeah. Yep. So this kid sits down and and I'm interviewing him. He's clean cut, good looking dude. And I'm like, okay, you know, you, you, you I think you might fit in here. And and what, um, you know, are you looking for unpaid or paid? What he? Oh no no no, it has to be paid. I go, oh okay. Um, what what do you think? And he goes, I don't know. I was thinking like twenty. And I go. 20,000 and he goes no $20 an hour and I'm like dude there's people that have been here for three years not making $20 an hour no are you crazy get out of my office like I think though and that comes back to what you talked about if if you're in an interview you're interviewing for a position with a company you're wherever like bring value first yes Bring value first. Understand what they're doing. When, when I would interview people, and for people who, who have trouble interviewing, get uh, Dr. Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. Get that book. On page 56 and 57, she has grit questions. And I learned after many failures was I'm going to look for character, character traits is what I'm looking for. Yeah. integrity, persistence, determination, willing to collaborate, that type of stuff. I can teach you everything else. I can teach you what you need for this job, but I cannot teach you integrity and focus and value. I can't teach that. You either have them or you don't, right? So yeah. Angela Duckworth, Grit, get the book, page 56 and 57. I use that a lot once I found the book when I, when I did interviewing of people. But yeah. you have to know Number one, what, what is it that they do? And then offer something. Offer something that, all right, here's, am I understanding it correctly? You're looking for this. 
have you considered X, Y, Z? Right. So when I interview people in high tech, when you're doing failing companies, <laughs> you interview when you have, where you have a failing company, yeah, people would come in. I always have the CFO there, and I would lay out. You know, here's the issues. And after one of them, my CEO, CFO said to me, "What the hell are you doing? You're putting out all of our dirty laundry." And I said, well, "Because we don't know how to clean the dirty laundry. Maybe this guy can help us, or this woman can help us clean this dirty laundry. So if if." They have the skill that we don't have. Then let's bring them in. But let's not do motherhood and apple pie. And the person comes in and, and they've got this, as we've seen so many times, this entitled mindset. Oh, I'm going to do this. No, you're not. I need help here. This is what I right. need. Right. But what <laughs> Joe says, but what if I have pictures next to really nice cars on Instagram? Pay me more money. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy when I was in Seattle, there was a guy who worked for Microsoft that as software would go internally, they would use it for testing yeah. and it would go back to him and he's supposed to do whatever he's supposed to do with it. Well, he was selling it out the back door uh, and then he was putting Instagram and Facebook pictures of his house and all of his fancy cars that he had. And now Bill Gates, not a stupid man. His people look at this and say, look, we paid this guy X. There's no chance that he could, and we know what his wife is doing. There's no chance he can possibly afford this. So let's start digging into it. And they found out that he, for years, I don't know how many years, because it wasn't that long, had been wow. selling the software that was used for internal testing to wow. people, kind of like black market, uh, Craigslist, that kind of nonsense. Wow. So no, having pictures with fancy cars is not going to help you. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely not. Well, hey, I got to thank you, man. I, this has been a great interview. And and I think everybody, well, it sounds like you've already gotten some LinkedIn requests. So um, I think everybody should follow you. And, and man, you're an amazing dude. And I, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you on my show and making it such a great episode. And anytime. Anytime you need anything, give me a holler. It's exciting that uh, we we're in a book together. And wh right. oh, what's the, what's the story? What's your story, real quick? In in the book, Crappy to Happy. Crappy to Happy, the book. I sent them two or three options, and the one that they decided they liked the best was called Five Years to Live. And this was a, a car accident that my youngest brother was in thirty five plus years ago, and he's paralyzed, a quadriplegic. And when uh, after they had the surgery. Um, they came in to talk to the family and I have a, a huge Italian family, like yeah. 400 cousins in the Northeast. Wow. And there was uh, my mother, my, my immediate family was there with the doctors and about 20 cousins in this wow. room. And the doctor came out and said, you know, the surgery went as well as could be expected, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm the blunt one in the family. And I said, okay, yes or no. Yes or no. I understand that people with this injury die within five years. Yes or no. And they started the, well, it depends on, I said, stop. Yes or no. Right. And she said, yes, that's true. Most people with this injury die within five years. Wow. And then they said, uh, she then said, well, you may want to consider because he's going to have to learn how to do everything, every human function, including holding a spoon again. Wow. Right. So you may want to consider putting him in, in a specialty home where he's going to have the assistance and all this. And my mother at the time was alive at the time was 
in hysterics. This is her youngest child, and she's just bawling her eyes out, just total devastation. And the doctor made that statement. And my mother went from intense sorrow and sobbing to uh, rage. And she said, under no circumstances will he ever see the inside of a home, ever. We will learn whatever it takes. We will do whatever it takes. And we will make sure that he gets the best possible care. And wow. if we have to do it ourselves. And the doctor looks around the room and there's like 27 people in there and everybody's nodding their head. And he says, she said, well, you've got the right attitude for this. So that changed everything in our life and in our family. I was living in San Francisco. I moved to South Carolina. I got a job transfer so I could be and the accident happened in Philadelphia. Okay. So I could be an hour flight from Philadelphia. Yeah. And so I did that for the year or more that he was in the hospital. And then he got out and, uh, and finished a master's degree. He wanted to stay in Buffalo, New York. That's where we all grew up. Right. And I kept telling him, Steve, you're in a, you're in a customized van. You're in a power wheelchair. You have snow up to your eyes six months out of the year. Right. There's no chance you can stay here. Right, right. He's Italian. He's stubborn as hell. So no, I'm going to stay here. He had a second where the, the, the van slid into a snowbank. You know, the snowbanks in western New York didn't get hurt. Right. But, you know, we called and said, okay, what's going on here, man? You're going to, you're going to have to leave. So he was having a surgery and, you know, the act of God type of thing. Put your faith. Yeah. Um, he's having a second surgery. We're all there. My, my sister who ran rehabilitation hospitals had moved to Phoenix and she calls us up, you know, no email back then calls us up and says, Hey, the neighbor next door to me died. Older woman, close to 90 years old. The house is a mirror image of mine. My sister went over to talk to the family because she saw the woman periodically. And she says, anything we can do to help you, please feel free. Let me know. And they said, the family said, well, we're from Minnesota and we want to get rid of this place as fast as possible because we have no desire to be right. here. So my sister says, not to be a ghoul over the grave here, but if you'll give me 48 hours, I'll bet my family will buy this house. So she gets the old video cameras. Remember the big camera? Yeah, oh, she yeah. Does the, does the video of the house, talking through it. Federal expresses it to the hospital. We have one of those little TVs, those little dinky TVs where you could stick a D. Uh, yeah. A CD, I mean, what do you even CDs then? I don't know what they were. DVDs. VHS or whatever. VHS. Yeah, yeah. Stick the VHS in while my brother's in, coming out of surgery and we're looking at the house and we're looking at it. And it's a mirror image of Annette's. Yeah. And the insurance is going to renovate a house for him as part of the settlement. Yeah. Right. So we said, what do you think? And so bought the house the right next right next door to each other with a breezeway in between wow okay. worked out perfectly it's one of those as you said in your story you give up you put put your faith in a higher power and say okay yeah. god i can't do this i yeah. can't do this what do i need to do open yeah. a door and so that's what the, that chapter is about and and from from a what did it impact on me well it was look if my brother who's eight years younger than I am, could go through this yeah. with, the, with the attitude that he had and how helpful he has been and, and, the, and the things he has accomplished in 35 years post-accident. He can do all that. What I'm dealing with isn't going to be that difficult. That's going right. Divorce, going through a number. It's not nearly what he went through. Wow. And he's still alive? 
still alive, just celebrated 35 years. Wow. Accident. Now the Arizona State uh, Medical School has him uh, do a, uh, like a seminar with their medical students because as far as spinal cord rehabilitation, medical school, there's so much that these young upcoming doctors get bombarded with that they yeah. get like 25 minutes on spinal yeah. cord rehab, right? So he lived 35 years. They, they, they said, you, you, you should have died 30 years ago. Wow. And so they're amazed that number one, he's still alive and that the wow. choices that he made. So he sits down with these students and he'll go through and ask me questions. Here's what here's what a spinal cord thing. Here's the things you've got to be concerned about. Here's where you you guys always want medicine. So if you're a surgeon, everything needs a knife. If you're if you're a doctor, everything needs a pill. He wow. says, you don't do that. He had so many years, Ken, he was taking the set of pills and whatever drugs, and it would impact his kidneys. So we got to shift it. Right, now that one impacted his liver. And it was always, and then you're always readjusting to this new set of meds. So one of the doctors, thank God, another one of those divine intervention things, yeah. said, Steve, you know more about this than I do. So I'm going to connect you with a holistic doctor, and I'll find a way for insurance to pay for this. Okay. Wow. And he meets with this holistic doctor, who he called the witch doctor. And they said, this is what you have to eat. This is the exercise you have to do. This is the way you're going to have to live your life going yeah. forward. Okay. And he did religiously, religiously. Incredible. And they had asked him, you know, what are your goals, Steve? And he said, I have to outlive my parents. I'm not going to make them go through this and then have to bury me. Wow. So he, uh, my, our dad died January 7th, just a few months ago. Oh man. And sorry for your loss. Th thank you. And, uh, someone said to him, Okay, Steve, you got to set up a new set of goals now. You know, you outlived your parents. That was the goal. <laughs> wow. So he has been, uh, he has been on the, the, the North County, North Phoenix Planning Commission for years. Was appointed by the councilwoman, city person. So he's been doing that for years. He's involved with the Franciscan uh, resort for the Franciscan order in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Wow. Uh, teaching in confirmation classes and working with, with high school students. And he's like, he, he's like the mayor, the Pied Piper. Anytime you go anywhere with my brother, plan on 30 to 45 minutes of just sitting, waiting to leave because everybody on the planet knows him and is coming to talk to him. And that's and awesome. Sounds inspirational. It is. It's yeah. extremely inspirational. And to have it right there, I go every month uh, to Phoenix for since since he moved there. Wow. Uh, and we spent time with him, my sister, then my, my daughters and my grandson are in Phoenix also. So next week or this Sunday, I'm going back again. Wow. That's awesome, man. Frank, thank you so much for being on. I'm going to end the live stream, but if you don't mind, stay with me for a minute and we'll chat after I end all this. So perfect. Frank Zakari, thank you. Appreciate you being my on. My pleasure. Anytime. And thank you to everyone who's watched and shared this out. Really appreciate that. Have a great day and we'll see you guys tomorrow.